The way that we're going to do it is I've divided the, the sermon into four sections. The first section is verses 1 to verse 7, which is the background and the tragedy that is found in this narrative. The second section is verses 8 to 15, and we will look at the love that is also found in this narrative. Third section is verses 16 to 22. We'll look at the sacrifice that was made, um, in particular by Ruth. And the last section will be on serving, which is uh, Ruth 2, verses 1 to 3. And I'd also like you to know that at the end of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you'd like to have one, I'll give you the opportunity to do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) So the background to this narrative is that... um, Actually, let me start by, by saying this. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt hopeless or helpless and not being able to help someone when you wanted to help so much? Have you ever been in a situation where life has not turned out the way that you had planned or the way that you had hoped for it to, to be like? I'm sure many of us can identify with that. Perhaps it could be the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, maybe loss of a home. Well, certainly this is where Naomi finds herself in, in this text. The background to this narrative is that there was a man called Elimelech. Elimelech was married to Naomi, and they had two sons. They lived in Bethlehem. But what happened during this narrative is that there was famine in Bethlehem. The name Bethlehem means house of bread. So there was no bread in the house of bread. The name Elimelech means my God is king. The name Naomi means pleasantness, pleasantness, oh lovely. We are told in verse 1 that this book was written in the time of Judges. And why is it so important for the author of this book to tell us that it was in the time of Judges? The book of Judges is the book just before Ruth. And the very last verse of Judges is Judges 21 verse 25 says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So there was lots of corruption that was taking place. There was lawlessness. There was sexual abuse. There was tribal civil wars. There were all sorts of things. People were were renouncing Yahweh, who is God, and just doing their own thing. So this is where the book of Ruth is written during that period. Judges ruled from 1200 to 1020 BC. Throughout the Bible, there are different reasons why there was famine. From drought, locust invasions, wars, and sometimes judgment from God. But we're not sure why there was famine at this point in time. But it's also at the time where there is lawlessness 
in Judah. The narrative does not tell us the reason, but there are some commentators who think perhaps it was judgment from God. So Elimelech takes his family to a place called Moab. Who are the Moabites? I'll answer that. Sorry, I'm not asking you. If you're not familiar with who the Moabites are, I'll take you back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis 18 and 19. There was a man named Lot, who was a nephew to Abraham. Please stay with me. I just want to give you the background so that you can have a picture of what's happening in this time. So Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there were all sorts of crazy things that were taking place there. And God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be no more. But Abraham pleaded with God for God to save his nephew Lot and his family. And God agreed to Abraham's request. Lot, his wife, and two daughters were taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were given the instruction, do not look back. But as they were fleeing, Lot's wife looked back. And the Bible tells us that she turned into a pillar of salt. Lot was left with his two daughters. They escaped and went to the mountains. And whilst they were in the mountains, the daughters decided that they were going to give their dad some wine, get him drunk, and sleep with him. Because they felt that they wanted to preserve the name. The first night, the eldest daughter slept with the dad and gave birth to a son called Moab. So this is where the origin of the Moabites is from. And this is where Elimelech, my God, is king, takes his family to Moab. Sadly, it doesn't take long. In verse 3, we're told that Elimelech dies. Naomi is left as a widow with her two sons. And the two sons decide to, to marry the Moabite women, Ruth and Opa. A bit of hope, a glimmer of hope for Naomi that the family is going to grow. But unfortunately, another tragic happens again. The two sons die. So Naomi is left with the two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Opa. Having left Bethlehem 10 years ago. But while she's there in, in Moab, she gets a word that, hey, guess what? That place that you left where there was famine, there's no bread. I don't know if it was today, she probably would have got a WhatsApp, text, maybe Facebook. But the word spread around that there is now bread in the house of bread. It was time of the barley harvest. Well, Bethlehem was known as a place of an abundance of food. Barley, almonds, grapes, olive, that was the norm. And God had shown mercy upon them. 
and there was an abundance again. So Naomi now decides to go back home. So now the second section is love. So what happens now is, it appears as though initially they were, all three of them were going to go. But the Bible says along the way, Naomi decides that she wants to be on her own. She wants to go on her own. Four times the Bible tells us that she pleads with the daughters-in-law to go back to their families. She says, go back home. I've got nothing to give you. By the way, the title of the sermon is, you have something to give. Naomi says, I've got nothing to give you. Go back home. There is a chance for you to get married and have a better life. In those days, women were looked after by men. The men would provide for them. The men would protect them. So this is why Naomi is saying, go back to your families. There is hope of you getting married. Perhaps she was also concerned about the uncertainty of where they were going to. She was going back with nothing, but just maybe a few personal belongings. And she says to, the, to her daughters-in-law, I haven't got any sons to give to you. I know that concept might be a bit difficult to understand here in the West, but I can relate to this because it still happens in some tribes in Africa. What used to happen is, well, still happens in Africa. I'm not sure if it still happens in, in, in Israel. If a man dies, and if he has a brother, especially a young brother, he would marry the brother's widow, the widow, and she will be his wife, and if they're kids, he'll take on the kids. The reason why they did this was to preserve the name of the family, as well as to make sure that this woman and the children are protected and that they have enough provision. So this is what Naomi means when she says, I haven't got any sons to give you. And even if I do have children, will you still, will you still wait to get married to them? But there's something that really struck me about Naomi's decision to let her daughters-in-law go. Bearing in mind she was an, an aged widow. Naomi wasn't selfish. She could have said, well, actually, I need to be looked after myself. So yeah, let's all go. But because of love, because she wanted to see her, her daughters-in-law do well, she decides to let them go. There's lots of weeping between 8 and 15. There's lots of kissing, kissing goodbye. Opera decides to go back. But Ruth says, I will not go back. I will stay with you. For those of us who've got children in here, I'm sure you can relate to how difficult it is to let your child go, say even to nursery. 
But because we love them, we let them go. And when they're adults, they make a decision. They want to go to university. Or maybe even you've got a, someone in here has got a child who wants to go on a gap year. They decide to say, I want to go on a gap year. Or to get married. So it means they're going to leave home. And it can be so difficult to let our children go. But if, if you love someone, you let them go because you want to see the best in what God has for them. You want God to use them. You want the plans and purposes of God to be fulfilled. So Naomi wanted her daughters-in-law to go back. And when I saw this picture, it looks like it's a mom who's either saying goodbye or, ha- or welcome back to a daughter who is wearing a uniform for the forces. And that must have been so painful if she was saying goodbye to her. And this is where Naomi finds herself. She felt like she had nothing to give. But certainly there must have been something about Naomi for her daughters-in-law to weep for her. Come on, church. How many of us in here have got in-laws? If the truth be spoken, would you weep for your (laughs) in-laws? I've got a mother-in-law. I better be careful what I say because my mother-in-law's son is in here. (laughs) Who is my husband. I love my mother-in-law so much. And I know that she loves me. I know that for sure. She loves me. And I love her too. She's an Irish woman. She's very feisty. She's full of energy. She's independent. But if she wants to say to me, Bev, I'm going back to Ireland. Would you come with me? Hmm. That would be a difficult decision. I'll be like, oh, mom, can I get back to you next week? And I'll be all, all spiritual and go and pray and fast and say, oh, Lord, is this what you really want me to do? <laughs> but here, Ruth does not even think twice about being with her mother-in-law. It was out of love. Then verses... 16, <coughs> oops, sorry. Sixteen to 22. Sorry, going back on love. Romans 13. Bear with me if I'm all over the place this morning. Romans 13, 8 says... Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. So debt, uh, love is a debt that we owe one another. And it's a continuing debt. So we are to love one another regardless. Verse 16 to 22. Oh, I love this. I love this. This is the climax of the story. Ruth, like I said earlier, Opa decided to go. And it's fine that Opa decided to go. Perhaps she was honoring a mother-in-law who kept insisting for her to go. 
Or perhaps she was no longer part of what God was doing in Naomi's life, which we will see later on as we go on. But all the same, it was great that Opa still wanted to be with her mother-in-law. <coughs> Ruth decided to, to stay with her mother-in-law. In fact, the Bible says she clung to her mother-in-law. And that word clung is the same word that is used in Genesis when they talk about a man leaving a woman to be together. So there was a lot of intimacy between Ruth and her mother-in-law. Ruth then pleads to say, I've got that picture. Looks like a, as though she's trying to persuade her to say, Mom, it's going to be okay. I'm here with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Hallelujah. Your God, my God. Your God, my God, church. This is very powerful because Ruth came from a pagan nation. They didn't serve God. They had their own God with a small G. They didn't serve Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She says, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. This is a bold declaration to make, church. And there is one commentator who says this is a precursor of what Jesus was going to teach his disciples. In Matthew 10, in Matthew 10, 37 to 39, Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Ruth makes a decision that she's going to be with her mother-in-law till the end. It wasn't a temporary, like, oh yeah, I'll go with her, and then uh, maybe after two years she'll be settled, I'll leave her, and then come back to my family. She sacrificed. She sacrificed leaving her family behind. She sacrificed leaving her friends behind. She sacrificed leaving her culture behind. She sacrificed leaving her God to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. She sacrificed everything, church. And this is what we should also do when we make a decision to follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, we leave everything behind. We leave our past behind. We have a new identity in Christ. Ruth left the, the God of Moab. And her identity was no longer associated with the Moabites, but with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. How great is that church? That was a huge sacrifice that she made. 
And she even says, where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. She had made up her mind that this is it. I'm not going to look back. When you say yes to Jesus, this is it. You don't look back. It's always great to be surrounded by other fellow believers. Because the journey of being a Christian is hard. It's hard, church. I'm sure you can all relate to this. It's not easy. I used to be a nurse, as many of you know. But God called me to come and serve him in ministry. But wherever you are, for me, that is my calling. Wherever you are, wherever you serve, that is where God has placed you. That is where God has planted you. And each morning when you wake up, you need to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you do that. It means your language changes. You don't speak the same language of swearing or whatever as other people. It means your temper changes. You are patient with people. It means you love even the ones who are difficult to love. And that is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Amen? There are many times when my assignments have been so difficult, I've been up all night, and Paul keeps checking on me, saying, you're right, you're coming to bed. I said, love, I need to get this done. And there are times when I've thought, I'm done with this. Lord, I've got another qualification. Abby needs nurses on her ward. I can go and work for the NHS. Yeah. There's a shortage of nurses. But because of where God has called me to, I have to be obedient and continue running my race. And that's the same for you too. Wherever God has called you, continue to run your race. It's a sacrifice. Amen. Then the fourth section is serving. Ruth 2, 1 to 3. Ruth gets to Bethlehem with mother-in-law, Naomi, the Bible tells us that Naomi is bitter. She even says, oh, call me Mara, which means bitter. I don't want to be called Naomi. I don't want to be called pleasantness. I want to be called bitter because God has done this to me. My, my son is gone. My, my husband is gone. I come back with nothing. I have to start all over again. But Ruth, she didn't waste any time at all. She saw it as an opportunity to go and serve her mother-in-law. The Bible tells us that they arrived at the time of harvest, and it's a short season. Ruth did not wait to say, I need to get settled in this new nation. I need to make friends. I need to know people. I need to understand the culture. No. She went and looked for somewhere to go and serve and work to go and glean in the fields. It was actually a law for farm owners to leave the edges of their fields when they're harvesting for the poor people to come and gather 
some wheat or grain or whatever it is. It's in the book of Leviticus. It was a law. And the Bible also tells us that she ended up in the field of Boaz. Of all the fields that she could have gone to, she ended up in the field of Boaz. And we'll later on see that Boaz was what was called a kinsman redeemer. That he ended up marrying Ruth. And out of that marriage, they gave birth to a son called Obed. Am I right that Obed is the short for Obadiah? Is that right or no? Kind of. Okay. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And as we know, Jesus comes from the lineage of David. So Ruth ended up being the great-grandmother of King David because of her decision to follow her mother-in-law because she loved her. She sacrificed her life. She served her mother-in-law. Amen, church. That is exciting. That she was an outsider. Ruth was an outsider. She was a foreigner. She probably suffered from uh, social ostracism, racial abuse, because she was not part of them. She was from Moab, where it had a history of all sorts of crazy things, Moab. But because of her, the decision that she made to follow Yahweh, it wasn't difficult for her to serve her mother-in-law. I don't know where you stand this morning with serving. But can I just tell you that serving releases blessings. Most importantly, blessings for others. Blessings for yourself come as a bonus. But most importantly, blessings for others. Ruth's decision to serve meant that you and I are now part of the kingdom of God. Amen? Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. We are so blessed in this church. See, I'm saying we because I still feel part of this church. We are blessed in this church to have multi-generations. I hope you see it as a blessing. I meant what I said about that little speech that I read. That it is a blessing to have from newborn babies like Precious Rose to the very elderly like Kath and Raymond and some others who are in their 90s. It is a blessing. And church, you have something to give. Seniors in here, in the North Building, you have something to give. The church needs you to share your years of experience, life experience. The church needs you to share your wisdom, seniors. The church needs you. You have something to give. Don't think that because you are past retirement, that you haven't got anything to give. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to go and liberate the Israelites from Egypt. 
There are many people in this church and in the community that still need to be liberated. And seniors, we need you. Amen? I'm pleading with you seniors in the North Building and in here or online. We need you. We need you to disciple the younger people, to walk alongside the younger people. Tell them the stories about the war. Second World War. I don't think there's anyone who's still around from the First World War. About the rationing. About the hardships that you experience. And that will strengthen us for us to hear about what you've been through. John Blakeman, when you're serving in the garden, find a younger person. Or perhaps a younger person, can you, can you avail yourself to work alongside John? He's got huge wealth of experience to share with life experience. <laughs> Pardon, John? <laughs> and the younger people, you got so much to give to the church. The church needs you too. Lewis, why are you leaving? The church needs you, Lewis. But anyway, we release you in the name of Jesus. You're going to go and do mighty works for the kingdom of God because Waypoint Church is a solid ground. Your training has been on a solid foundation. So what you're going to go and build up there is going to bring glory to the kingdom of God. Amen? Please do continue praying for Lewis. He needs your prayers. But young people, we need you to talk. Talk to us. Talk to the seniors. Tell them what you're going through in your life in 2022. It's not the same as 1947. There are lots of challenges that you, that you come up against. Social media, abuse, or whatever it is that you experience. Talk to the older people and we can serve one another. Middle-aged, I'm not leaving you out. You are needed too. Come on, Jim. Are you middle-aged? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Wikipedia told me that 45 is middle-aged, so you're not yet. I'm 45. I'll be 46 in July, so I'm, I'm middle-aged. <laughs> but let us serve one another, church. Let us serve one another. You have a lot to give. I'd like to ask the worship team to come up. When you serve in the coffee shop, Karen and Sharon and many others, you are blessing the people who come to Waypoint Church. They come to experience the love of God. When you serve in the community, in the hub, you are releasing blessings to the people that you serve as they see the goodness and the love of Christ. When you serve in the garden, John, with Mike, you are blessing the church and anyone who comes here by admiring the beauty in the garden and also being obedient to looking after God's creation. Wherever you serve, you release a blessing. You have something to give. Naomi thought she didn't have anything to give, but she certainly had love. 
Ruth thought she didn't have anything to give. But yes, she had love too. She sacrificed and she served. And out of her serving, she was included in the genealogy of Jesus. If you go to Matthew 1, you see Ruth's name is also part of that genealogy. Amen? Lois, could you play a little tune for us? Is that okay? Just a little tune. I'm just giving you time just to reflect on what we've talked about this morning. The one who paid the ultimate price of love is Jesus. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die on the cross Not the same cross, but a resemblance. Jesus died on the cross for you and I. He died a horrific death. People spitting on him. Calling him names, ridiculing him. At one point, Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And he went to the cross and died for us. It was out of love. It was out of sacrifice, and it was out of service. Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. They buried Jesus in a tomb. The enemy thought, this is it, I've won. I'll control people as how I've always done. But what he didn't know was that resurrection was coming, hallelujah. After three days, Jesus rose. He revealed himself to the chosen few. He ascended to heaven and right now he is seated on the right hand side of our heavenly father making intercession, praying for us. 
But that's not the end of the story, church. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen. He is coming back for his bride. And who is the bride? It is anyone who has put their hope, their faith, their trust in Jesus and made him king and lord of their life. Following Jesus is a beautiful life. And yes, it can be challenging as well. But overall, knowing that your life is in the hands of the creator of the heavens and the earth helps you to deal with all sorts of stresses of life, which will still come. But if your trust is in Jesus, you know that he is making intercession for you. I would like to give this opportunity to anyone who either does not know Jesus and wants to make him Lord and King of his life. Perhaps you grew up in church and never made this commitment, but just thought because you were born in church, that is enough. It is not. You need to confess for yourself and believe for yourself and make the declaration yourself. Can I ask you all with your heads to bow your heads down, please? And close your eyes. And if that's you this morning who wants to make a commitment to follow Jesus, or perhaps you've walked away and you want to come back, or maybe you're not sure whether you did it right, you're not sure. If you've got doubt in your mind, then I think it's best to clear the doubt. If that's you, please raise your hand. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you sacrificed your one and only Son to die on the cross for each and every one of us. And Lord, we come to you asking for forgiveness. May you forgive us for all the wrong that we have done. If that's you this morning making that decision for Jesus to be the center of your life, ask Jesus, ask God to forgive you. Father, we invite Jesus to be King and Lord of our lives. 
We say it counts us in into the kingdom of God. Help us to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. We acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that he is coming back again for the second time. Count us in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over to you, worship team. I'll come back and pray after after one song. Amen. Just invite you to stand again as we sing our final song. This may be new to a few people, but the words will be very, very familiar, as it's the Lord's Prayer.